Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. A historic transition is in the works that's shifting from the century of the combustion engine to the time of electric vehicles. This transformation is affecting consumers and businesses alike. U.S. consumers bought nearly 300,000 new battery electric vehicles in the second quarter of 2023. In the race to dominate the EV global market, China is the standout. It makes over 80% of the world's lithium-ion batteries that power such vehicles. But the U.S. is keen to be competitive too. President Joe Biden's Inflation Reduction Act aims to bring more EV manufacturing back to the U.S. and its trading partners. That massive new spending bill also set to boost sales of electric vehicles. It includes hundreds of billions of dollars to address climate change. One program, new tax breaks for electric vehicles. Bloomberg's Colin McCarricker and Malcolm Scott report that this is the dawn of the EV era and the stakes are incredibly high. When we look at the EV sales figures in the most recent month, about a third of all vehicles sold in China in the largest vehicle market in the world are plug-ins and about 25% of those are purely electric. This is happening really fast now in the largest auto market in the world. It's all about tensions, not just between US and China, but tensions between labor groups, tensions between parts of society that this transition is causing. I'm your host today, Rosalind Matheson. Today on The Big Take, the electric vehicle revolution is here and it's shaking up the global economy. Malcolm, I'll start with you because you write in this important story that the world is going through what you call a historic transition from internal combustion engines to electric-powered vehicles. Can you just begin by giving us an overview of what's happening? So the world economy has been set up for about 100 years based on internal combustion engine supply chains. That is all changing very rapidly right before our very eyes at the moment. Of course, those legacy automakers are still around. They're still churning out the gas-guzzling cars. But the Chinese have really made the world stand up and notice that this transition to EV sales and EV adoption is happening quickly and it's happening right now. So right across the world economy, we're starting to see these changes in supply chains already play out. And it's just the start of what's going to be a decades-long process that will revolutionize parts of the global economy. And it is happening really, really fast. But what's behind it happening so quickly? Is it demand? Do people just want to drive electric vehicles because of the environment, because of cost? What are the main things that are pushing this rapid shift? I guess there's the demand side. People have realized that these cars are actually pretty cool. Tesla's helped us learn that. But then on the technology side, the battery side, things have become so much better. And that's Colin's space where he can maybe talk about some of those changes on the battery technology front. Yeah, I mean, this is something we've been tracking for over a decade at Bloomberg New Energy Finance, Bloomberg NEF. And one of the things that you can really see is that battery prices have plummeted. They've gone from over $1,000 a kilowatt hour to about $140, $150 a kilowatt hour over the last decade. 
there is a consumer adoption, consumer interest angle, but there's a really big technology story here. And it's one of the most remarkable technology stories of our time. And that is that it has gotten much cheaper to store power in a battery over the last decade. And not only has it gotten cheaper, the batteries themselves have gotten much better, better energy density, better cycle life, better safety. All of these things are a big part of what's enabling this EV story to take off. It's interesting you're talking about those confluence of factors all coming together at once in a way to create the environment for this. But Mal, you mentioned one country in particular, China already, the standout leader in the EV race. How did it get in front so quickly? What gave them this advantage? Short answer is it's a mix of government subsidies, tax breaks, and, you know, China doing what China does, deciding we want to dominate this space and then going all in. You know, it started in the early 2000s, really, before many of the Western countries saw the potential, I guess, of what we're seeing today. Into the 2010s, I think there was a real acceleration in China, maybe some recognition that it was going to be tough to take on the Japanese legacy automakers, the the Americans, the uh, Europeans in their own game. So maybe EVs was an area where they could perhaps leapfrog to some extent. Into the mid-2010s, you had the China 2025 industrial policies outlined where they decided, hey, we want to move our economy away from this uh, low-end manufacturing gig that's fueled their rise to that date and become an economy moving up the value chain where more of the value added of what they're selling is made and recognized and into the pockets of the Chinese companies doing it. And EVs were part of that broad technology focus that was part of that broad industrial plan. They've also, at the same time, made sure that they had some strength in the processing of the minerals that are needed for EVs. They've dominated on the production side, but also in the processing of those minerals. I think a lot of people don't realize this, but China is by far the largest auto market in the world. It's significantly larger than the US or the EU. And not only that, but when we look at the EV sales figures in the most recent month, about a third of all vehicles sold in China in the largest vehicle market in the world are plug-ins, and about 25% of those are purely electric. So just to underline Malcolm's point, this is happening really fast now in the largest auto market in the world. It's really interesting the way that we talk about it both being very fast and in a way very slow because it feels like it's accelerated in the past year or so where everybody's talking about electric vehicles. But Mal, your point was that China saw this 20 years ago. By comparison, the US and Europe, they seem to be catching up or trying to catch up. Colin, can you talk a little bit about where the US and Europe are now? And the question is, can they catch up? About 17% of global vehicle sales this year are going to have a plug of of some sort. So that's plug-in hybrids or battery electrics. And only about 3% of all the vehicles on the road in the world at the end of this year will be electric. There's still lots to play for, but China does have this really formidable lead. So China accounts for about 80% of the battery manufacturing capacity in the world today, the lithium-ion battery manufacturing capacity. And in some parts of the supply chain upstream from there, it's even more than that. So what's happened in the last, really the last two or three years is that Europe and North America have decided, actually, no, we don't want to significantly lose this much of the auto supply chain and of the cutting edge technology that is going to be a big part of the next hundred years of the automotive industry and other industries. And they've said, look, we want to re-onshore more of the manufacturing supply chain. And so they're making a big push. There's a big push going on right now in Europe and North America. And I would say it's being broadly successful. There is a significant amount of battery and EV manufacturing capacity being built in North America and Europe. 
it's not the scale that China is. So when we look at 2025, look out a few years, in 2025, we're still anticipating China to be about 70 to 72%. Again, that's down from about 80% today of global battery manufacturing capacity. So the lead is formidable, but it is still very early days in this. And this is a story that's going to play out over several decades because there are about 1.3 billion vehicles on the road today, and only about 40 million of those are electric at this point. Let's talk about some of the specific forecasts from Bluebank NEF. We're not talking billions, we're talking trillions here potentially up for grabs. Uh, what are the forecasts telling you that you're looking at? One thing to note is that global auto sales are worth about $2.5 trillion a year. It's a very significant portion of GDP for some countries and a significant portion of exports for, for other countries. And if we just take a, a sort of a step back on where we are on this EV question, EVs were about 1% of sales in 2017, 5% in 2020. This is when everyone starts to notice it a little bit. And this year, as I said, around 17 or 18%. When we look a bit further out, we think they get to around 30% or about a third by 2026, and then just under 50% by 2030. If you think about that $2.5 trillion a year in, in annual vehicle sales, a growing share of that is going to be electric. Colin, let's talk about the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act, where the U.S. is spending essentially billions to lure producers to or back to America. Some critics have called it a subsidy, in effect, for U.S. industry. How might the IRA, as they call it, or IRA, play a role when it comes to the EV sector in the U.S.? Yeah, there's a bunch of different moving pieces around IRA. One of them is around a tax credit for producing batteries. So there's a $45 per kilowatt hour tax credit if you make a battery in the US. And that is enough to more than close the gap currently with what we see in the difference between batteries produced in the US versus in China. So that's meant to say this, this can be a very competitive place to build batteries and therefore EVs. And then there are other things around end consumer subsidies. So an income tax credit of $7,500 for electric vehicles. And then there are a number of other provisions that are meant to encourage automakers to retool manufacturing plants and a bunch of other things that are designed to look at this whole supply chain altogether. So it's a lot of money that the U.S. is mobilizing. And in some cases, its allies or close friends are sort of saying, actually, you're pulling a lot of the jobs from other places as well. And that doesn't just apply to EVs and batteries. It applies across other areas like hydrogen or carbon capture and storage and a number of other parts of the what we call the broader energy transition. What the move to EV means is that there is a large number of very small part suppliers. Those jobs are really at risk because a lot of those parts and components that go into larger components that eventually go into an engine or go into a vehicle, those are really at risk in the switch to electric because you just won't need as many parts. So I think in the supply chain, you are probably going to see a reduction as you move from internal combustion engine to electric vehicle. But the big question is, where do the battery manufacturing jobs go? And that's why there's this big sort of fight and this big industrial policy push over the batteries. If those can replace what's going on on the job losses on the internal combustion engine part supply side, then it's a net neutral or maybe even net positive from a jobs point of view. After the break, what are the US and Europe doing to keep up with the push for EVs? Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. 
at Stiefel. It's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. We talked earlier about the U.S. and China, but it's also interesting to talk about some of the key examples around the world where this is playing out. So, Malcolm, one of the countries that you and your colleagues write about in this story is Mexico, which is intriguing because why is Mexico so prominent when it comes to electric vehicles? Well, Mexico stands to be one of the big winners from IRA with those juicy tax credits because they apply to cars made there as well. So manufactured right across North America, not just the United States of America. So you've got General Motors, BMW, Ford, Stellantis, Kia. They're all announcing plans to boost and expand their EV production there because they want to they get in on that game. Tesla, of course, is building a mega factory in Northern State there. So, you know, they, they want to get in on the game. Problem is, China's already there. China is ramping up its sales to Mexicans just as Mexico starts to get ready to ramp up those sales to North America, to the United States. China's already in there. They're selling electric buses, they're selling electric taxis, and they're selling a, a lot of cheap internal combustion engines still to Mexico. So, so far, they're pretty confident that they can keep doing that without necessarily causing political tensions. We spoke with BYD America's chief, Stella Lee. She said she's not worried about what she calls disturbing noise in the media regarding these tensions. She thinks that there's going to be so many jobs up for grabs. There's going to be new technology brought to Mexico. She's betting, and maybe China's betting, that there's enough to go around for both in this case. And meanwhile, looking at North America, it's interesting because Canada is trying also to push to build a domestic supply chain of electric vehicles. We're seeing a lot of countries try and get this domestic supply chain going. Colin, how is that going? The Canadian government doesn't want to be left out of this. Auto manufacturing is a significant portion of jobs in southern Ontario and also Quebec. So the Canadian government is also making a big push to ensure that batteries are built there. So there's been some big announcements there, both in Quebec and Ontario, and also EVs are, are built there. We do this lithium ion battery supply chain ranking every year at Bloomberg NEF. And Canada actually comes out quite positively in the top few countries, partially because of all the access to raw materials it has that can help fuel this battery boom. So I think Canada is quite well positioned and the government is providing significant support both at the federal and the state level to ensure that jobs aren't lost there and that Canada stays at the cutting edge of battery and EV manufacturing. But there hasn't been that much actually built to date, I should say. So most of it is forward looking at least on the manufacturing side. 
But I do think the Canadian government is very conscious that it doesn't want to see all of this new capacity end up purely in the U.S. because of the Inflation Reduction Act. So it is trying to ensure that it's at the table and providing significant support to match some of those programs. And Malcolm, we write in the story about what's called the Ring of Fire, and that's not what we think of as kind of the earthquakes and volcanoes that can go off around the world, but something else. But why is it so important for the manufacturing prospects for Canada when it comes to electric vehicles? Well, the Ring of Fire gives them a real shot at um, mining many of these minerals that are so crucial to the batteries domestically. There's some $67 billion worth of these minerals that mining companies are estimated to be sitting on. It's all about tensions, not just between US and China, but tensions between labor groups, tensions between parts of society that this transition is causing. Here, it's a tension between two green goals. We think that digging up these minerals is going to be good in the long run because it's going to uh, get rid of these gas-guzzling engines and, and help produce nice, clean EVs. But on the other side of this, there are people protesting and saying, hold on, these vast deposits of minerals are also in what's one of the world's most effective carbon sinks, and we don't want to mess with that. There's also indigenous interests and communities that are, are saying, hold on, hold on, let's not mess up this pristine green environment. So, you know, you've got these green goals colliding, and that means there's been real delays in the approval of what could be a real lifeline to Canada's economy. Bloomberg economist Stuart Paul says this could be worth somewhere between 2.75 to 4.25% of Canada's GDP. So this is significant, you know, economy altering stuff that's up for grabs here. Over in Europe, also, there's another country that stands out, also pushing into the manufacturing race on electric vehicles, and that's Hungary. Our reporter there, our bureau chief, Zoltan Simon in Budapest, he's done plenty of reporting on the big new battery plant that's being built by Chinese investment there. BMW is building a new EV factory in Hungary. So it's interesting what's happening in the second largest city in Hungary, Debrecen, which has traditionally played second fiddle to Budapest, but at the moment is something of a boom town. It's transforming the city of around 200,000 residents. Home prices are surging as workers file in. This is putting Hungary potentially on the map to become one of the world's most significant battery producers. And Colin, what are we drawing from the Bloomberg NEF data about that industrial park in Debrecen? That Hungary is emerging as one of the clusters and that specific region as one of the clusters of the new automotive supply chain. And if you look across Europe, there's a few of these forming. There's one in sort of Hungary and Eastern Europe. There's another one in the Nordics where a lot of the battery makers are, are looking to try and capitalize on the fact that the grid is already supplied by clean electricity, mostly from hydro and trying to make a green battery as a result. But so these are kind of the new hubs, I guess, if you will, of where it looks like this industry is emerging. So Hungary is definitely one of them. And Malcolm, is that feeding into any tensions in the region? Are we seeing that start to show up when it comes to electric vehicles and the competition there for market share? There is the threat that nearby neighbours that are still very reliant on the internal combustion engine, like the Czech Republic and Slovakia, they get left behind somewhat. The Czech government was left scrambling for alternatives. Volkswagen, they said that there's no business rationale to build a battery factory in the country now, or at least for now. So, you know, there is a risk that as Hungary rises, 
other nearby neighbours that are still maybe stuck with their legacy ICE engines and supply chains reliant on those start to fade. We are still going to see internal combustion engines around for a while yet, so this isn't necessarily overnight, but it's about uh, tapping into the rapid growth of EVs while the legacy ICE-related uh, manufacturers maybe are all battling for a smaller and shrinking pie. Coming up, a closer look at China's investment in the EV market beyond its own borders. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. We were talking earlier on about Mexico, which is a key player in all of this in terms of the push for electric vehicles. And and Mal, you did talk about China's role in that. But Colin, can you just remind listeners, how is the approach of China in Mexico different from the US approach? The Chinese vehicle manufacturers of all types have significant overcapacity. And that's not just EVs, that's also internal combustion engines. Vehicle sales in the country have risen dramatically, but have not continued the same trajectory they were on before the pandemic. And what that sort of means is that a lot of those manufacturers are then looking to other parts of the world and looking to where they can export vehicles to. So you're seeing a significant amount of Chinese-made vehicles starting to show up in places like Mexico and other parts of Latin America. There's places like Mexico, but other markets like Brazil. Interestingly, Ford closed its vehicle manufacturing facility in Brazil. And the buyer of it was BYD, a Chinese electric vehicle manufacturer. And that will start producing EVs for the Brazilian market starting next year and probably other parts of the Latin American market. So China is sort of stepping in in some ways as the U.S. is stepping back. The Chinese vehicle players are targeting the bottom of the market and are really going aggressively after these international regions because of this overcapacity they have domestically. Well, quite some way away, Malcolm. Of course, China is also targeting Thailand for electric vehicles. Can you talk a bit about what you're seeing there? We had uh, reporting there that um, tapped into the tension that's flaring. This time, not necessarily US-China tension, which we're also used to talking about. This time, it's Japanese-Chinese tension. Japan has long been the leader in Thailand's car-making space. 
but quickly it's being challenged by China, which is ramping up its foreign direct investment into the area. Thai authorities are welcoming it with open arms. We spoke with the manager of a vast industrial estate who said that she's seeing huge investments from companies such as BYD and others. And her Japanese clients are teasing her saying, hold on, you, you like these Chinese guys better now. She, of course, said, no, 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 we, we, we like all our clients. But, you know, the numbers do tell the story from just a few years ago where the Japanese were outpacing Chinese investment into that automotive space by, you know, four or five to one. Now those ratios are flipped. And this year so far, we've seen Japanese investment lag Chinese investment by about a ratio of two to one. So the Chinese are pouring the money in to what uh, is a, a vastly important industry for Thailand. And Colin, of course, we know that the Thai government is very much encouraging investment, but also pushing people in Thailand to drive more electric vehicles. What's their target for 2030? So the Thai government has a target of 30% of all automobile production in Thailand to be electric by 2030. And that's really because right now, auto manufacturing is about 10% of Thai GDP. It's sometimes referred to as the Detroit of Southeast Asia or Detroit of the East. It is a very significant part of the overall economy. And Thailand exports vehicles to a lot of the other Southeast Asia economies. So they're, again, ensuring they don't want to be left behind in that. So they've got this 30% target by 2030, which is six years away now that they're aiming for that. Early signs are quite promising. As Mel has said, BYD, Chang'an, GAC, Great Wall Motor, these might not be household names to Western listeners, but these are big Chinese auto manufacturers who are setting up shop, building plants, uh, making investments in, in Thailand as a way to get into the broader Southeast Asia region, which is one of the faster growing car markets in the world. And obviously, we're talking about a lot going on globally here, a lot of money, a lot of accelerated plans for investment, companies taking advantage and pushing heavily into this sector. And as you were saying, Colin, some of these targets aren't that far off, but also a lot can happen between now and then. If you're talking to our listeners, you're saying, what are the things they really need to be looking for in the coming months and years? Yeah, so the first one is this point between government push and organic consumer demand takeoff. So a lot of the last decade has been government trying to get the EV market going, hoping that organic consumer demand will take off and then they won't be rolling such a big ball up such a steep hill. And that's already happened in China. What we're watching for is which other countries does that happen to as well. In Europe, you're already over 20% of sales being electric too, so you could argue that's kind of the case there too, though there are a bunch of policy levers still pushing that forward. The big question is the US for us. So since the Inflation Reduction Act was passed, over $100 billion of new investment we've tracked that is going into EV and battery manufacturing in North America. That's a really, really significant amount of money that should really set the US and, and North America up to start to catch up with the rest of the world when it comes to EV adoption. But you move from this challenge of kind of getting in the game to executing. And now we're in kind of this execution phase. So we're watching to see how well the US can execute on this scaling up all these things of, of the supply chain to enable this supply to match demand and continue to, to rise and get that takeoff that we've seen in other places. The other thing is this tension between different parts of this transition. So there's this tension between global environmental goals or large-scale CO2 goals and local environmental concerns around extraction. There's also this tension between localization and cost reduction. So a lot of the push over the last decade has been to get costs down. Now you also have this additional variable in there, which is 
We don't only want them to be affordable, we want them to be made locally. That may actually cause a slowdown in some of the adoption that we're seeing. We're already seeing some of this protectionist sentiment come through. The European Union last month launching an investigation into Beijing's financial support for the EV industry. The EU is worried about the threat to its car makers from cheaper imports from China. It says its Chinese rivals have an unfair advantage from state subsidies. European officials say this distorts the market. They've launched a major inquiry. You know, there's millions of jobs that are at risk across Europe as these cheap Chinese cars flood in. If they start to put up barriers, if these barriers start to impede on the relationships even further, then that, of course, is going to ripple through the global economy. In fact, is already rippling through. And the other thing that's come up already in this conversation is the simple fact that EVs don't need as many bits as the cars that we're used to. So we're seeing some economies, some smaller economies that really are going to lose out no matter what. One of the cases we've got in our story is South Africa. Platinum and palladium is a big part of their mining industries as those metals go into catalytic converters, which are parts of the exhaust system that turn some of the nasty gases into less nasty gases. You just don't need those in EVs anymore. So we've got those metal prices falling dramatically, about 40% down at the moment over the past year. Jobs are being lost already there. In an economy where unemployment's already around 33%, potential loss of mining jobs, the challenge to keep up is going to be really challenging. And that's just one economy. There's going to be plenty more losers emerge for every winner. So, you know, that's going to be very challenging right across labor markets across the globe. And of course, you throw politics and the political cycle and elections coming into all of that. And you've got a complex soup. Colin, Malcolm, thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks, Ross. Thank you. Thanks for listening to us here at The Big Take. It's a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And we'd love to hear from you. Email us questions or comments to bigtake at bloomberg.net. The supervising producer of The Big Take is Vicky Vergolina. Our senior producer is Catherine Fink. Federica Romaniello is our producer. Our associate producer is Zainab Zidiki. Hilda Garcia is our engineer. Original music by Leo Sidron. I'm Rosalind Matheson. We'll be back tomorrow with another Big Take. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.